Okay, everybody, we all know that self-storage is a very specific asset. That's why you need to join the self-storage income community where you'll be with over 300 people buying, building, everything about self-storage, operating and managing. And along with it, you guys get all our webinars that we do on everything from underwriting the assets to managing them, financing them, and more. You also get a due diligence checklist and our first underwriting modeler. Follow the link in the show notes today. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income. And today I'm very excited for my guest because as you guys know, I'm obviously obsessed with storage and also obsessed with technology where the industry's going. So we have Jonah Hall, who's a co-founder of SmartLock Self Storage, um, very passionate about the industry. Um, I'm really excited to have him on here to tell us about what they're seeing in the industry. And especially on this topic of technology, I want to get opinions because that stuff has been moving really quickly. All right. So with that, let's bring him in. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you coming on now. Uh, do I got this right? You're from Texas. Actually, I'm from Missouri, okay. uh, but yeah, I've been in Texas for seven or eight years now. All right. Nice. Yep. We're at Texas. Obviously, you don't need We're in Garland, but... which, yeah, we're in Garland, which is a northeast suburb of Dallas. Awesome. So we're basically in Dallas. Okay, nice. Yes, I was sir. in Dallas for the first time um, two months ago at a buddy's wedding, and um, I've been to a lot of other, or, or excuse me, no, not Dallas, it was Houston. So I've been to okay. lots of places throughout Texas, but I'd never been to Houston before. And I was really shocked by it. Um, you know, it's just awesome. growing and uh, oh, so, it's so big. It's like, Texas is so big. There's so many people, there's so much going on. And uh, I think a lot of people outside of Texas fail to grasp the size of the economy of the cities it's you know i think when you think big cities when you think big economy and stuff you think oh you know california new york even washington and you know places like that where i mean they got washington all these other places even even new york i feel like it's just all concentrated in one area but texas as a whole is just it's huge yeah and there's multiple cities i mean north north of dallas it's been growing organically so fast just in the five or seven years that i've been living there the, the outskirts of what is the city has, I mean, it's miles further than it was. Well, and billions of dollars in infrastructure going in. It's amazing. I was sitting at my buddy's, he's got like this penthouse on this corner and we go up and you just have landscape views and I'm looking at the downtown area, right? And then I look over and I'm like, okay, well, I see another city center, skyscrapers and stuff coming up and you look a little farther over and I'm just looking out and, you know, being from Idaho, that flatness, which is just bonkers. You can just see so far and it just, the expanse is, is crazy. And I think that's something people are betting will continue because it's going to, I mean, the, the drive yeah, for Texas I don't see is it slowing down at all. It's been blowing up uh, little tiny towns that used to be nothing are now flourishing communities just outside of the, the metroplex, which is crazy. And even even after COVID, when interest rates rose, there's a lot of areas that, you know, slowed down and housing prices took a dip, especially first of it. And it just didn't, not even, interest rates doubling couldn't slow down the Texas machine. 
oh no, you had entire, you know, the Blackstones of the world buying up entire neighborhoods to the east of Dallas. And we couldn't, we couldn't find a rental house to buy. They were all being bought up by giant corporations. It was crazy. Jeez. And uh, so how did you get started in storage? Yeah. Uh, well, by the grace of God is what I'll say first. Um, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I didn't really uh, go searching for self-storage or even real estate for that matter. I, Nobody I graduated did. Degree. <laughs> yeah, that's now true. Now lots of people do, but. <laughs> that's true. Uh, when I graduated from college, which would have been, let's see, 11, 12 years ago, I had a degree in political science. So I, I wasn't, wasn't really sure. I knew I didn't want to be an attorney, thought I might go into politics somehow. Uh, uh, started, I spent some time working for some, some nonprofits and things like that, but it didn't go anywhere. Eventually I landed uh, a role really by volunteering for several months with a family office down here in Dallas. They were an oil and gas family and they had spent, uh, the last 25 years building really great wealth, but they had been, uh, amassing a real estate portfolio on the side, uh, all through 1031 exchanges. So they had mostly retail dollar generals, Walgreens, things like that. And I managed that property portfolio for a couple of years. Uh, so one of their, one of their properties, it was already vacant actually when I took over the, the role, but I was brand new to real estate. So a year or two into the role, they're like, Hey, go figure out what to do with that little dollar general. And so that was our first self storage footprint. Uh, we went out and we, uh, converted that little 7,500 square foot box into climate controlled storage. And obviously there was no way a manager could sit at a location that small. So we had to figure out how to get creative and make it truly remote managed, but not just like the, you know, the sign on the wall. That's not what yeah. we wanted. We wanted something uh, truly, truly new and self-service is kind of the term we picked up and kind of trademarked today is, is we want self-service, self-storage. But back then it was just like, how do I, how do I manage it from Dallas two and a half hours west of there? Yeah. And uh, we, we kind of went the, the, the model that a lot of people had. At, at that time, because in 2018, there were only, as you know, not very many people out there. I mean, there was Jefferson, there was Brad, there's a few people out there doing it, but there weren't very many people. And so uh, I had the uh, pleasure of, of meeting some of those early pioneers, and they were very friendly to the young guy trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, like you guys said, this, this industry is so friendly. I would yeah. not be in it if it weren't for that. Uh, but that first that first one was basically just emulating someone else. And it worked really well when we were leased up in seven months and it was making more than the dollar general was paying in rent. And, uh, so we're like, well, maybe that is a business model. Maybe that wasn't just a least worst idea for cash flow. So anyway, that was, that was kind of my introduction to storage. And, uh, after it went really well, we did a few more with the family office. And then I was, I was like, well, I'm ready, I'm ready to hit the road. I'm ready to go do this on my own. And, uh, that's when my business partner, David and I, uh, kind of paused and say, well, why don't we just pick up where we set, where we've gotten to so far. Let's not start over. And so we bought the branding, uh, smart lock self storage branding from the family office that I had generated while I was an employee there and uh, started our own company from then on. So we've been growing like wildfire over the last, uh, I guess it's been about 30 months since we've been uh, smart lock. Yeah. And, you know, this is a favorite topic of mine because, and, and you hit on this, and I really want to dive deep into this, and we, and we can talk about it. There, When people say automated storage, right, or, um, you know, touchless storage, all the names that people have given it, um, mm -hmm. a lot of people, I think, assume that it's one thing, and it's not. And the degree to which individuals are doing it and how they're doing it is very wide. So like you mentioned, you didn't just want to be like a sign on the door, right? So there, there's right. so many people out there that they say they automate storage, things like that. But it's a 
it's a sign on the door. It's a VA, right? And not that there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing no, wrong there's with not. that at all. It, it's hard to scale. It's really hard to there's scale, nothing wrong but there's with nothing wrong with that. And I, in fact, too, I, I would argue not only is there nothing wrong with that, I think you have to do it, especially if you're if you're not going to go the all that tech route and everything, under 50,000 square feet, which we've said for a long time, right? It's not It's not feasible. It's just not. And in fact, that's how we started. So back in the early okay. 2000s, we were automating storage it just didn't have tech and everything but it was we had one person that was contracted that would go on site everybody else called and we handled things through emails but we'd been doing that since 2000 and you know the early 2000s why because you had to you couldn't afford a full-time manager so everyone the the tech stack has changed dramatically it's it's completely different than even when i started and that would have been early no late 2017 early 2018 so Uh, that was that at that time, people thought I was crazy because we wanted to go cashless. Yeah. All right. Well, people are still think you're crazy for going cashless, which blows my mind. But Me too. anyway, that is that is uh, something we were doing in 2018. Um, we were we were doing online rentals. Right. I mean, yep. obviously that that now it's like, yeah, if you don't have online rentals, you can't even keep up. Yes. Uh, back then it was it set you apart. It was yep. like the one you made. Yep. You made every rental after hours, yep. period. In every market you went to, if you had online rooms then. Now it's, you know, obviously you got some sophisticated competitors yeah. around you. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I would disagree with you on is, is the, the footprint thing. We've been able to successfully do this with a scaled process at even much smaller footprints uh, in smaller markets. And it, it, But like you said, it's it's a completely different thing for everybody. Everybody's got a different tech stack. Oh, yeah. A different uh, a philosophy for customer service. Well, that's service, the benefit of it. Uh, you can go so signage. Small. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go down you, to... I mean, geez, like almost nothing. In fact, the smaller you go, the more important your tech stack is, because true, it, 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 like yeah, you I, have to you, you, that co- cap capital, the cost of individuals to do anything, even if it's just VAs, it, it doesn't matter. That smaller you go, that expense ratio just blows it out of the water. So I think that your right. tech stack is more important than ever. The smaller that size goes, if you have ten thousand right. square feet, cashless. Online rentals only, right? And mm-hmm. you're, I mean, it's just you've got to have that really dialed in because a, one little thing, one cost, right, has a huge impact on that revenue. That's right, and that, that's why I would I would go tell people, hey, if you're going to scale it, you might even consider some hardware locking technology like a Nokia yep. product or something. Uh, it, it's crazy to think about putting that product on such a small footprint, but it actually does work. I mean, we've got one that's exactly 10,000 feet, mm-hmm. and I would say the OPEX ratio is 31, 30%, something like that is the, is the expense ratio yeah. on a property that's 10,000 feet. That, that's crazy. Uh, like, I mean, that's It's awesome, crazy, right? That's but, but that's awesome. because the local person is only doing sweeping, cleaning, rolling doors. And that's it. Yep. They're not letting people in. They're not helping people to their doors. They're not Once a week, shows up out. on site to do the work. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And you can accomplish everything else with the technology and with really proper signage. You just, you got to have the right, uh, you got to make it so easy that a child could do it. Oh, that's, that's really what we're doing. A hundred percent. And this was one, one of the things that we looked at when everything was happening. Um, you know, if you go back to like 2000, um, after the financial crisis, 2015, 16, as that tech stuff was coming more in, as people were trying to co- copy extra space, right? Online rentals started to be developed and everything. It was all patched work and it wasn't integrated. And so when, what, what, what 
so everybody, what what Jonah's talking about here is an integrated tech stack. So like, you know, when we were doing it before and still lots of people are doing, it's very patchy. Things are over here, they're over there. You have to have people that link things together. I got an email here. I got a rental over here, right? Um, and that actually makes a, a, a lot of work. Um, and so- It does. It, it does. And we, we, we realized that at first we're like, okay, we've got to, it has to be integrated. If it's not integrated, it's not fluid. And integrated is actually more important the bigger you get. Because with a large facility, if it's not integrated- you, st- you have problems all over the place. It has to be seamless, oh, that's right. that's in right. and out. And, and, and for the customer, it has to be 100% seamless. It can be yes. a little less than 100% seamless for the operator as long as you know what you're getting into. And for us, you know, we've been trying to push the limit for, for several years now. My, my partner's a software engineer, so he, he, he thinks in that term. And, and so we're always trying different things and uh, really pushing the limits of the technology that does exist, bringing in technologies from other industries that maybe didn't don't really... They weren't built for self-storage, but they yeah. might work. And so our tech stack today is it's not, I wouldn't say it's fully integrated from an operator's perspective because we're purposefully trying everything yes. and, and trying new things. Yeah. But we're pushing our our vendor partners. Some I'm sure we use, we have some of the overlap on on several of them. We're really Walk pushing, us through really, that, your tech stack that you use. Like how, how does that yeah, work? So, so we, we say this, but like for people listening, like what does that look like and, and, and how's that work? Right, yeah. Let, let's dumb it down. So- Every every uh, operator, whether you're a little mom and pop or you're running a giant portfolio of properties, you need a website, right? Mm-hmm. So your first product that the customer sees is your website. Well, maybe not. Actually, let me let me take one step back. You need a really Ad. good online presence via your Google business profile, your Yelp profile, those types of things. Because yep. people find you on the maps. Uh, I'm amazed how many of our customers simply say the only way they found us was via the map. Yep. That's how they find things. They don't, you know, storage is one of those commodities that you don't know you need it until you need it, right? Exactly. And so it's not something that you're reserving a month in advance. It's something that you think of the day before. Yep. And so they're popping up their map and they're searching for self-storage and you should pop up if you're doing a good job with those things. Then it's the, the website and you want it to be so simple. And so we, we've really dialed back some of the features that some of the vendors out there will provide and said, hey, we, we just want it to be as simple as possible. I want the fewest clicks possible. I want the customer yep. to be able to get into a unit before they even realize they're done. Like I want it to be so fast and seamless that uh, they, they never need to call me for anything. Yep. And so we've, we've been pretty successful at that. I would say uh, we've eliminated 80% of the calls we used to get. Uh, we're down to just maybe across uh, eight operational sites. We're working on, we've, we've been busy. I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Uh, we get eight operational sites, 400 calls a month, probably. And the only yeah. calls we get are true issues. These are escalations. That's that's yeah. how I that's how I look at them. The people that call in uh, are not calling. Hey, do you have a ten by ten? That's too obvious. They they don't yeah. call about that anymore. Yeah. Um, they're calling. Hey, my auto pay method expired, and I can't remember my password to log in. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things. Uh, so anyway, so that's the first piece is the the website. Then you've got the property management software, and there's tons of them out there. I'm not going to come in here and tell you. Every single one I've tried because I've tried almost all of them anyway. But we've been through lots of iterations of them, and we've been pretty close partners with a couple of them. And our goal was, hey, we want to get on the ground floor with one of them and just tell them, hey, here's the features we need because we're trying to push some boundaries in remote management. Yeah, And those those needs are different than a guy that's got a manager on the, on the property. Very different. And so we wanted features that 
uh, streamline the rental process. We wanted features that streamlined the uh, local contact. What's what we call the person that's on site. Usually it's a 1099. It might be an employee, but someone that goes out to the property once a week, like you said, and does cleaning and things like that. You need their features to be things that are useful and things that get the project done quickly, whether that's preparing for an auction or just doing some simple cleaning. Um, and then after you've got the website and the property management software, you need a ticketing system of some kind. You've got to field all of these customer inquiries coming in. Um, you could do that via one of the major platforms that are out there. You know, you got the Zen desks and the fresh desks and those types of things of the world, uh, or some of the property management software has some of it built in. Uh, but the goal is, Hey, when they reach out to you in any plethora of ways, they want to a text, an yeah. email, a contact form, mm-hmm. uh, a call, whatever it may be, you have to be able to field that and respond to it quickly, uh, and preferably document it to the customer's profile. And so all of those things have to happen. Um, now people have been doing this in spreadsheets and whatever yep. else for years, and that still works if you own one or two yep. properties, but after that, it, yes. it's not practical. So, uh, and then the, probably the most important piece to me, uh, is the hardware locking mechanisms that yep. have come out in the last few years. So now you can go from simply being able to rent online to being able to automate the move in, which is the whole, a whole new game, right? That now, now you don't have to be there to get the customer into their unit and back out the door and set up on auto pay in our case. So mm-hmm. every single one of them sets up auto pay, moves on their own. And so I think uh, the most exciting thing that we've seen, and this is like a stat that I'll, you know, halfway bragging about, but really excited yeah. about is 98% uh, self-service move-ins. 98%. Two people out of a hundred have to call us to get help in the move-in process. Good job, that's, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. And this, you know, it, a lot of people think, oh, this is simple. It's really not. So when you're talking, philosophically, it's simple, right? But yes, exactly. when when we're talking about this stuff, I think people need to understand there, this industry ha- was not built for this at all. There was no support system around it. So I don't know if we, if you knew this, but we were, I think, one of the first or the second people to ever install Noki. So what we I do remember these yeah. stories. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They made a whole white paper, everything about it. It was it was it was crazy. Um, I, I mean, we were in there. I, I like lived in the facility for like two weeks. I'm, I'm we curious. Did you do it indoor or outdoor or both? On that, It first was install? all indoor. I um, okay. it was a bankrupt super Kmart. We made a big road through it. Hundred and forty thousand square feet. And so wow. it was big. And we had. 1200 units something like that. uh yeah so it was a big asset um and we we were running manual wires we had to figure out the connectivity with this and we had the mm-hmm. uh obviously the Nokia people and janice people were on the ground we were doing the installation like th- there was no roadmap it was like no, there wasn't it, and, and and on the flip side we did the same thing with the Nokia one product in, in Texas, we were one yep. of the first people to put the Noki one product on a property. And boy, it, it wasn't pretty. I mean, sorry, yep. Janice, but it wasn't. Yep. It was very ugly the first, uh, well, going on a whole year, actually. Yep. So, I mean, I feel your pain. I know exactly. It yeah. was, most people would have given up, ripped oh, them all I, off the they, door. They didn't even, our, our version mean, was considered zero and they never redid yeah. it. So it was immediately like, that's we right. got to move that's off right. this because it was, it was, it was not pretty. But, but that's what we signed up for. That, that says nothing about Nokia or Janus. We signed up for that. Like it right. was one of those yeah. things. Did but you go to Vegas? That front end to it, us we have four was new so important. It's awesome. 
that the front end was connected to the back end. So we created and developed our um, software company and software system that we were using as trials on this to do a full connectivity, that seamless aspect. So we were building this ginormous storage facility, doing a conversion, which was still rare. Not a lot of people did it at the time, installing the hardware and building the software for it all in the back end and trying to get those things to run seamless. Um, I, I mean, I'm telling you, everybody, as you know, Jonah knows, as he experienced, too, this stuff was hard when it, it first came out. It was. It, it didn't work all the time. It didn't work how we wanted it to work. It was just trial and error, constant problems. So what seems really simple um, really wasn't at all. But right. like Jonah I, and say, us, we knew say it was this jokingly. Right, right. And I say this jokingly to people, but I'm like, you're welcome. Because like we went yeah. through all that pain. All uh, that pain. And thankfully, it's a lot better now. Uh, it's not perfect yet, and it never will be. There's always iterations and yeah, uh, always changing technology, right? I don't even uh, know what we're putting in now. What ver what version is it? It's like um, the new lock change systems. It's um, I think we'll have to have Noki tell us what 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 they're gonna, like. I seven, forgot what the new name is. Even, yeah, I don't remember. Well, yeah, it's not. I forgot the number, but yeah. they re renamed it too with the, the yes. slimmer profile. That's right. So uh, yeah, that's right. And now we have I haven't, other I haven't installed any of those yet that are coming in, just not right. Noki. So now we have other companies that are starting to come in and they're starting to build out um, and starting to do this. Noki was the first one. Noki was actually a lock company. So all it was was like a, a um, old school lock that they were using mm -hmm. that would have a Bluetooth piece to it. So that's, that's where it was. They bought that company and tried to get it storage. Now, since then, we have lots of more vendors that are coming into the space and trying to figure out product types and figure out how to do it. And a lot of people may ask, why? Why all this work? Well, I think, you know, what we and Jonah realized really quickly was that, first of all, those small facilities were that, like, we had air quotations, manless or automated, right, when we were doing back in the early 2000s and everything else. It was patchy, a lot of work, and it didn't, it was harder to compete with them. Um, and yet, at the same time, a salary. So you, let's take $50,000. So if you have a property, $50,000 on a, let's use very simple math for everybody, um, a $100,000, if you had two people, right? $100,000 at a five cap. That's $2 million in value. So it's astronomical, you're talking about a half a million dollars in value for one person. And when you're dealing with a small facility that you're buying for $600,000, it's not even, it's not feasible. It's not doable. And most of the time they can't even cash flow. So then it becomes, how do we do this outside living in that city? Right. It, it wasn't, it's not like this was extra or added on to a large segment of the industry. It was necessary because we were already doing it. We just didn't have tech and the integrations to do it well and to really compete and to optimize. So um, most people today, like we view, you know, we view it as if you're not doing this stuff today, you're literally building a facility that's like 10 years old. So, Or, or you're building a facility for you or I to buy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and convert. Yeah. That, that, that's what you're doing. You're, you're building an asset that we're going to end up buying if you're not going to convert it to the new way of doing things. 100%. Uh, 
you're right. I mean, there's two things you get out of all of this automation. You get a better bottom line, which is obviously the most important thing to most investors. And I think you actually get a better customer service experience, which may be pushing the limit here, but I think it's a better customer service experience than most of the ones I've experienced when I go secret shop facilities. And and I'm, I'm doing my, like today I'm up in uh, Des Moines, I'm looking at properties and and uh, I'm walking in, these managers aren't aren't there. They're supposed to be there. Yeah. They're not there, even nope. at the REITs. Yep. Uh, you know, when they do show up, they're halfway, you know, nice. Yep. They're not very helpful. Then they're off and so tenants. Thinking, they're back in the back right. facility, put the door, right, exactly. sign on the door, be back in 20 minutes or whatnot. So all of a sudden, even when they are there, you have 30% of the time, they're not even in the office. Right. And now you've got the ability to offer customers self-service. That's what they want in everything else. I mean, yeah. we have self-service fast food places, at hotels, at everywhere. Yeah. Like, why, why not sell storage? Well, and two, so. one of the things that I hear a lot of people say is you're trying to get rid of managers. And for us, that's not true at all. So that one facility that I mentioned is 160,000 square feet right now. That We will never not have a full-time manager there. It has sure. 1,600 yeah. units. The, man, the, the expense of the manager is irrelevant at that asset. It's so big, it makes so much money and everything, and we have to do so much on it. It's like, it's not. Now, what is though, is if we didn't have this stuff, we'd have to have all these managers. It would be an absolute pain. We couldn't be competitive. Um, So for us, managers play a different role. We're able to change the manager's jobs. We have rovers. We have, you're able to let managers do what they should be doing, moving manager locations like we're doing where it's like internalized. So it's not like we're, you know, it, it like for us, it's a move up. We want our people to do more, better work. They should be doing better things, right. not returning calls and not, you know, it's like get rid of that whole part. Um, and make it so people can do uh, much higher level and impactful work on the business. Because that cost is so great that if I'm paying it, I want them to move the needle. Right, exactly. And with this model, you can let the people on site focus on property management, if you will. Yes. And then pay whatever you want for high quality customer service people that are actually going to handle those things. Absolutely. And not hopefully get somebody that's decent at both. No. And, And two... Um, people have to do this stuff. So I, I, I tell people everything. We got to phrase it. We're not talking about a flip ATM here. This is, we're not talking about, it's not just like, oh, they go onto a website, purchase a product, and it's drop shipped. That is not what we're talking about here. The tech stack, no, the, not, at all. not at all. That is not what we're talking about. Um, and I think a lot of people get that very confused. They think, oh, I can just use technology, and it's like an ATM. And... Okay. I mean, I've seen that, right? Like there are, there are companies out there doing this kiosk system where like an ATM, it vends locks and all the different things. Uh, personally, that's not what we do. We, we, we have the, we're the belief or of the belief, sorry, that your phone is your kiosk. Like everybody already has exactly. their credit card information, yeah, we their address, kiosk. their name, their emails stored in your phone. It's already there. It already takes there. half the time to rent a unit yeah. on your phone. No, I, I, uh, I believe if they have to go to the store and use a kiosk, you've already lost 50 plus percent of your customers. Yep, agreed fully. And, and so yes. when we look at this stuff, it's these are properties. We have people, we have tenants, they're moving through. There's work to be done, everything. It, you can We can simplify, and what we're really trying to do is simplify the acquisition process and the life, the customer experience. So when you look at, so 
when, when you were just talking, which, which I love, you walked through. So you got your ad, your websites, your property management system, ticketing, these uh, physical asset. And then the last thing I would add to that is the move out process, which may include, right, the um, auctioning off of things, right? So this process, mm-hmm. you have one side, which is the tenant's process, but then you have another side, which is our process, running the business, running the physical asset, right? All these things. We're trying to simplify and streamline the customer because people like, I was talking to <laughs> I was talking to somebody and they're like, people really want to go in and see a friendly face and shake hands and stuff. And I go, this is storage. This isn't like, no. They don't. Nobody that, wants silly. to do that. Like it, most people don't want to be having a storage unit. It's not like, they're not like, I can't wait to go get my 10 by 20 and rent out a storage unit. That's not, it's not yeah. something people are and, saying. And then if you're under 30, you don't want to talk to anybody anyway. Exactly. If you're under 30, you, you literally would rather interact with your phone than a person. So give them the option. Yes. Uh, at a minimum, if not make it re- a requirement to rent a unit. Like at our facilities, you cannot rent a unit any other way than online. That's yeah. just how that works. Yeah. And so you set that expectation on the front end and we're basically changing the the expectations of our customers. Now they now they walk in knowing, hey, this is a smart facility. I can rent on my phone, I can move in on my phone, and I can move out on my phone. So I don't need uh, to sit there and go talk to the lady in the office and hopefully she's nice or hopefully she's in a good mood today. Yeah. I don't have to do any of that. I can move in and go about my business. Yep. Uh, and, and then of course, the most impactful thing that I think people really overlook is the ability to now move in people after traditional business hours. Exactly. That, that makes such an incredible such difference. Such a difference. It's mind-blowing. So I, it's mind-blowing. Um, I've uh, actually done the stats across all our properties and everything. 40% are after traditional business hours. 40% come to rent, to come to yep. everything else like that. It is after traditional business hours. Yep. And are you counting any hours on Sunday? Because Sunday is a huge day for us. Uh, we did. Oh, actually, actually that's Sunday. a really good point. I think I may be counting literally just after the day hour stuff. I'll have to go back and check that. But you're right; it's probably higher than that. Then I think it's probably higher because yeah. most most places aren't open at all on Sunday, or if they are, they're open from you know noon to four. Yes, or something. Uh, and so you get rentals on Sundays like crazy. It's a peak day for us. Yep. Um, and and all the other competitors are losing out on every single rental yep. that day. Uh, in our markets, at least. We're not in major markets. We're in a lot of secondary tertiary markets. And so we're the only one renting units at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference. It's a big difference. That's how we were. We had our facilities that were in smaller markets. It was just, we were the, essentially, we were the only game in town when it came to that right. whole marketplace. And when we first installed this um, years ago in that facility, uh, people are like, well, is it worth the cost? And I say, well, I essentially have a monopoly. So anyone that comes in through these hours that wants to rent and move into their facility, I am their only option in this huge growing city. Just me. So what is the cost to be a monopoly? I'll tell you what. We filled up in eight months and we're like the highest prices around everything else. Um, It's a huge difference. You're literally having a market that, everybody else doesn't even have. Yeah. And, and then that gives you the ability to go buy all the other little assets in that facility too. And that town, I mean, as well, because uh, now you're highest priced, you're still getting all the rentals anyway. So you basically force your competitor to sell to you or, or figure it out. Uh, yes. that, that's happened to us where we go into a market, we basically monopolize the little market and 
now we're very interested in the next asset over, you know, the, the other one in town that's decent. We're trying to buy that asset. Yep. Um, I've done so that. That, that in, makes a big difference too. I've done that in multiple cities where we are not only the largest operator in the town, we dominate the marketplace because we own so much of it and it works really, really well. Um, and that, but you can't, when we're talking about that level guys, when we're talking about dominating a marketplace, by that is when this tech stack, um, internals and your operations that are predicated on that, it's gotta be dialed in and it's, I mean, it's gotta work really well and that's hard. And and there's lots of options for everyone listening. There's, there's lots of options out there. I mean, I'm not saying my tech stack or AJ's tech stack is the only way to do it. There's actually... There's uh, tons, uh, half a dozen, you know, half a dozen really good ways to do it. And another dozen ways that you could do it. And, and, and so, you can water it uh, down to be super simple where it's just, hey, you buy online and then we're going to send you an email and you're going to go open up the lock, uh, door and there will be a lock on the ground and your email will receive a gate code. Boom. Automated. Right. And I know a lot of people do that. Lots of people do that. Right. It's a very simple, easy way to to do it. Um, I don't think that is very sustainable if you're in growth mode and growing. I think there's a lot of issues with it. But the point is, if you're starting out, you can literally do that. Like do that, hire a VA to outsource stuff and you're done. Yep, absolutely. And, and and then if you decide to go to the next level and install, yes, some CapEx to get the, the physical hardware locking mechanisms that are out there on your facility, I, I tell people all the time, I'm probably a better salesman of the products than they are. You got to think of it from a cap rates perspective, just like yep. you were saying earlier. You know, the manager, if you're paying him $50,000 and it costs you $50,000 one time to go eliminate 80% of his job, that pays for itself almost overnight. Like at a cap rate, it pays for itself immediately. And then on an ROI basis, you know, a little over a year, year and a half, whatever you want to call it. How is that not a no-brainer on most facilities? I know not all of them. And if you're not going to scale, maybe not all of them. Uh, there are plenty of people that shouldn't do this. If you've got one facility and that's all you ever want to own, maybe you shouldn't go down this road. Yes. But for us, it was all about scalability. We were trying to take our retail mindset, which was mailbox money, and apply it to self-storage, which obviously you can't quite go that far. But you can get pretty close pretty to close. mailbox money and self-storage with these, you know, with these types. And of especially stuff. if you're if you're smaller. If you're smaller, you can really simplify things. I mean, if you have one store or two stores in the same city, I mean, wow, you can make this very, very simple, streamlined. You can achieve expense ratios in the 20s. Yes. You can can achieve that. Yes. Which is mind-blowing to think about. But uh, even on small footprints, you can get your expense ratio below 30. Yeah. uh, Which is awesome. Uh, now who knows if the next buyer will consider that, but, but that that's, uh, to be determined as we get more and more of these facilities with all this tech stack. That was one thing that bit a lot of people that were first starting out that we had a big that's right. uh, argument on like, a, not an argument, but I had a debate on stage with somebody and they're like, we've added this much value. And I was like, no, you haven't. And they're like, yeah, cause we increased our net income. And I go, that value assumes that both banks and buyers accept that expense ratio. They don't. That's right. And there were a few companies that built literally hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate packages, and they went to sell them. And all of a sudden, this whole idea and promise that they gave to investors stuff, everybody's like, nope. And th- their their value was perfectly even with the rest of the market. And the reason being yeah. is because everybody's like, we don't care. That's not what a sustainable expense ratio is. So they couldn't sell. And um, right. it's that 
it, you know, it, that comes with innovation where you're like, okay, innovation is great, but you also have to re- align yourself with the reality. If you have a 20% expense ratio, that doesn't mean anybody buying that will ever accept that or a bank will even accept that. It will be something right, lending perspective. that values sure. them gone. That's right. And that caught a lot of people. Right. And so for us on the development side, that was, that was a big consideration. We're like, well, we know the answer is no today. Could the answer be yes, they'll accept that expense ratio in the future? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, could, you can make that bet. That's fine. And that uh, depends or, on assumable options. So the value right. means that anybody else has to be able to assume by a third party. And I think the biggest step towards this, like what I, when Extra Space bought that small storage facility, I was like, people don't understand how big of a deal this is. Why? Because it just made a, a business model that frankly was great on cash flow, but irrelevant when it came to equity and flipping them because your your whole business model, oh, I'm going to drop expenses in half and then I'm going to flip it and look at all this value we caught. It didn't work at all. And uh, Mm -hmm. so now though, that was the first step because it can't be just someone else that says, oh, I can do it. You have to have a third party option that is viable, just like storage would never have lower cap rates prior to 2008. Why? Because institutions want to play because they couldn't operate. So it didn't matter. So high cap rates were really high extra space and others that came and gave an institutional third-party option, then cap rates went down. Why? Because now we have institutional-grade options to allocate capital to this market. That was the first step on the path there is when we saw that move by extra space. And boy, was it exciting. Like We were were celebrating on our end because that's what we've been doing for the last three years is building that kind of portfolio. We we think of ourselves as, hey, it's Storage Express 2.0 or 5.0 or whatever you want to call it. And so that was a big day. But you're speaking my language. You're right. You have to have something that can be transferable to the next owner or you're not creating anything of value. And we actually learned that the hard way on our very first facility. Uh, None of the leases in the country, including Texas, which has a great self-storage lease, had any language about any of this automation, any of this technology, yeah. any of these overlocking mechanisms that existed. And so we went and wrote our own lease. Yeah. Come to find out people don't want to buy your handmade lease, no matter which attorney wrote yep. it. And so you have to go back to the, you know, anyway, things like that, that you learn along the way that, hey, you got to make sure everything you're doing is transferable to the next owner, whether it's a one-off sale or a giant portfolio like like Jefferson's portfolio was. Yep. Uh, and then most excitingly with, with his sale was, Extra Space is one of the only people that could have bought that. No yeah. private equity group would have bought that because no. then they wouldn't have had anybody to manage it. Exactly. Right? He couldn't. Only an operator can buy that. That's right. Right. He couldn't have exited any other way nope. except to a REIT or some very large operator, someone that could was, see the value. He was the first big one to it. ever be able to exit. All the other ones right. failed upon going out to the market thinking that they were going to sell and everything, and there was no buyers. They literally couldn't exit out unless it was at a normal expense ratio, which then their whole entire business model just blew up. It was like, well, then why are we even doing this, right? Um, So that was huge, really, really important. But you're right, it had to be extra space. It had to be, yeah, that's right. Now, hopefully they'll offer this third-party management type uh, eventually to smaller facilities at a lower expense ratio. That will then open up that whole market for all of us. We're betting on it by huge amounts. So we've invested tens of millions into technology and our tech stack and everything, because I, I do believe it, it will be more, I believe that market will open up and I believe that it will, will go bigger, but it's going to take one of all those property management companies to offer third party management viable at those expense ratios and 
that is a viable option for people. If not, and right now, besides the little players, you know, yeah. I, I'm not doing third party management yet, but guys like Storeys or whatever, because these guys are doing it. Besides that, extra space is the only, only real bet, real horse to bet on right now. As far as you know, after that purchase, maybe they could do it. Hundred uh, percent. We'll see. We'll see how long it takes. Yeah, <laughs> it's exciting though. It's stuff that we've been talking about for so long, but um, I think that you know it. We can talk about it. We can build it. I mean, we've been building this stuff for 10 plus years trying to get there. I mean, but it was always with the knowledge that you're so far ahead of the industry as a whole that there's only so much you can do, right? It, it, so, right. And two, if there's no viable option, you can't go refinance at a bank, a 100,000 square foot facility and say, yeah, we have a 20% expense ratio. And the bank's going to say, no, you don't. And they're going to say, yes, nope. I do. Look, I can show it to you. And they go, no, maybe you're mistaken. We don't care. No, you don't. Because if right. we had to yeah. take your asset in over. 40 or whatever the number is. Exactly. Because yep. if we right. had to take your asset over, you don't. So we're not going to value it that way. And right. so it's, a, it, it's been a big thing where it's like, it's, you know, how does this work out on that back end? And I think we're finally get, getting to a point. Once those floodgates open... You are going to see everybody's going to be buying small facilities and teeny little towns and packaging them up and, and, and trying to move that way. But that's going to take some time because then you also it have will. to have those operations open in those markets. But it's very exciting. That's right. Now, we've seen a few, very few. I wish there were more, but some comps of facilities that are selling with a Nokia product installed or whatever. Yeah. And getting pretty close uh, to the asking cap rate. Uh, now that was obviously the law for the last two years, which is an inflated market. But that said, we saw those sales and we saw some of those things uh, get almost the value that they were wanting out of that lower expense ratio. So I'm hoping that continues. Uh, we're obviously banking on it with a lot of our properties and our portfolio as we grow. Yeah, but if you're doing uh, so a one-off or individualized, things like that, that's totally different because you can find an individual buyer. Completely. So that's it's right. when, when you start to talk about portfolio, big stuff thing. That's when everything changes. The moment you walk into institutional money, that's when those comps don't hold, right? But if you're selling that's them right. individually off, that's that's really different because there's a third party management company that'll that will do that. It may not be institutional grade, but individuals, it works, right? So sure. Two different yeah. levels, but very exciting. And we're we're all on it. When it comes to designing your self storage facility, it is so imperative that you capitalize on the square footage and the efficiency of the facility as best as possible. You don't want to have to start redesigning a facility way down the development process. You want it right right from the get-go. And that is what we're here to help you guys with. Follow the link below in the show notes, get in touch with us, and our in-house architect can start working with you today. I think that's where the most growth is going to come. I really do. I think the most growth over the next 10 years in self-storage is going to come from small facilities and small markets. Because the push from the big facilities, which values have just gotten so crazy, they're so competitive, everybody's moved into it, everybody's looking at options, and they're having to go downstream now, and it's, it's not, we're not able to break into it in, in right. institutional and, and fashion. And you guys discussed this not that long ago on, on the podcast. You guys were talking about how uh, it's that top-down effect. That extra space sale is going to have crazy waves of effects going downstream. Yeah. And guys like us, guys like mm -hmm. myself even, uh, that are just big enough to go scale up a portfolio of 50, 60, 70 properties over the next few years, 
those guys are going to be able to take advantage of that. Um, yep. At least that's what we're banking on, right? Yep. And so that's what we banked we on at first. In, we when we got into storage, we're like, we don't think that nine, ten caps will exist. Institutional money will come in. We started building portfolios and everything, and we reaped the rewards. And I think the exact same thing. What we saw from uh, so I believe strongly that COVID is the same thing as 2008 to storage, meaning 2008 introduced a new way of doing storage. And that was institutional money, operations, everything else. The automation stuff we're talking about, I believe strongly, if it wasn't for COVID, it would be years behind. Um, But because of COVID, I think that changed the market's perception. Now, we may have been doing it because we were doing it prior to storage. But the whole entire marketplace would not have viewed it as as viable as I think the marketplace does now. Because now with COVID... Everybody's like, yeah, this is the normal way of operating. And the technologies in the rest of the marketplace started developing at mass to facilitate things for COVID. That just hyper drove it. And that changed the way that everybody, I think, viewed that. And I think that's the turning point now where now what happened in 2008 took till 2016, right, to really gain mass attention on uh, lower cap rates, operating it like a business. COVID is that breaking point there for this part of the business model. Um, I strongly believe it. I'm obviously betting on it just like you are. Um, and a lot of people are because it's, yeah, it just, it's very clear. Um, and there's, there's infrastructure for it. That's the key, right? right? Prior to this, there, there wasn't viable infrastructure to support a system like this. And even if institutional money wants to get in, unless there's infrastructure, it can't. And before there was hardly any money that even could. So, that changed, and that's exciting. It is exciting, and it, and it, it kind of was a pro and con. Like if you were if you were operating in 2019 this way, you had a big roadway ahead of you where you could go yeah. grow under the radar, and not so much anymore. But on the flip side, and I would take it no other way, it made it a lot easier to raise money because now we're like, hey, we've been doing this since before COVID. Now everyone agrees with me. Let's go. Yep. Let's you know, go. Jump on the bandwagon. Let's go raise some money. Let's go do some more like this. Uh, whether you're buying a facility and converting it, whether you're doing conversions or you're doing ground up, it doesn't matter. If, if the operations is this structure, uh, people are really excited to jump on board right now. I could not agree more. So with that, we have, you know, we kind of talked about the future, the infrastructure here, where we talk about alignment from our uh, initial customer profile to the um, physical asset, shortening that time frame, which is really important, and how you operate and can be an edge, and then the use of the the use of your tech stack within that. Then we uh, talk about the future, the kind of the barriers that are coming, right? Um, What are your guys' plans now in the short term? You have been like a lot of people and like us have been building out your infrastructure. Um, Are you acquisition mode? Do you believe that the next year um, storage will still be strong? Um, What are your thoughts there? We definitely haven't slowed down. Uh, we're, we're very interested in growing uh, as fast as we can over the next couple of years. I think this is the time to go take advantage. Uh, we uh, Three years ago, when we were first getting started on, on this model, we kind of had a, uh, a fork in the road, right? We could, we could go be a third-party management company and just go take our ideas and go sell it that way. Yeah. Or we could go develop our own portfolio and, and take advantage of the cap rate compression you see at large scale. And uh, so we obviously chose the real estate avenue. And we've been busy. We built a team uh, of uh, a, di- a development team, a constru- in-house construction team, 
uh, and a operations team, obviously, and then all the things that go along with that accounting and everything else. And um, we, we were on a pace last year, and I'm hoping to get back as soon as you kind of get money raised up again uh, of two a month. Uh, yeah. These were conversions mostly. We're doing lots of conversions, grocery yep. stores, furniture stores, uh, roller skating rinks, bowling yep. alleys. I mean, it's amazing what works when you find the right market. Uh, but we were doing uh, almost almost two a month, one and a half a month was kind of the pace. And that's kind of the pace we'd like to be at. We'd like to do 15 to 25 a year for yeah. the foreseeable future until there's just this portfolio that like, uh, like happened to storage express, yep. you just get the knock on the door. Hey, it's, it's time it's to, time. it may be time to consider an exit. Uh, we'll get there and that's yeah. what we're going for right now. And right now it's just whatever it takes to grow it and in mass and as fast as we can, uh, using this model, using this technology as our way of operating them in house. And, uh, when the right time to, to exit comes along, we'll, we'll take advantage of it. But for now we're, uh, we're growing as fast as we can on the development side mostly. I love it. I I I agree with it, man. I think you're doing doing a great job and I look forward to seeing you guys uh continue and watching how it plays out in the future. And obviously I'll be right there alongside you. So this is exciting stuff. And you know, where can people go to find out more about you, um, your team? Where should we direct people? Yeah, well definitely check us out on LinkedIn. Uh we're we're trying to be more active there, uh posting everything from uh, raises we're doing to, to photos of our new facilities that are going online um, and things like that. Uh, we're almost always hiring. So if you're looking for uh, a role in the industry uh, with a team, uh, you know, you can reach out there. Um, and then uh, we've got various uh, investor and, and management uh, websites as well. But I would just point everybody to LinkedIn. You can go from there to, to anywhere else. Uh, and then obviously, uh, go go visit AJ's event in, in September. Uh, we'll be there. Uh, I believe um, uh, we're going to be speaking on conversions, yep, actually. So I'm pretty excited to, to come out and, and join you. And uh, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And so come come listen to us, meet us there. Um, but if we can help you in any way, LinkedIn is a place to reach out and we'll set up an appointment and we'll, we'll chat for half an hour. Or if you're in the Dallas area, come visit us. We're, we have kind of an open door policy at our office. So Love come it. on in and visit. That's awesome, man. Yep. And uh, everybody come join us. We'll, we'll all have a blast. All these links, everybody are in the description here. So you can go follow uh, and connect. And with that, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing what you guys are doing and being so open. Appreciate that. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you. Thanks, everybody. You guys support us so much that we want to support you. That's why we're giving our audiobook away for free. Leave a review on the podcast, send it to us from the link below, and we will send you the Growing Wealth in Self Storage audiobook completely for free. Thanks, everybody.